Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Davis. Uh, we're going to be closing up our series on forgiveness today. And we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 17. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible there with me. If you don't have your Bible with, with you today, uh, we're going to have the words up on the screen or there are pew Bibles just in front of you, unless you're my wife because I stole her pew Bible. I actually had to steal the pew Bible uh, to preach this morning. Uh, so that's me. Um, so my name is Dan Davis. I'm the, I'm the pastor at Renewal Church over in North Tonawanda. And if you're wondering where Milo is today, He's at Renewal Church over in North Tonawanda. And once a quarter, we like to do a pulpit swap because Renewal is a church that was planted by this church. It was planted by Randall Church just a couple years ago. And, the, and so this is just a simple way uh, to kind of keep some connection uh, between the two churches. And as we've been going through uh, the series on forgiveness, I was thinking this morning on, on what I could uh, tell you what I could update to you about what's been going on at Renewal Church. And I'll tell you what, there, there is something uh, that I would like to give you an update on at Renewal Church, and that's that lives are being changed. Lives are being changed at Renewal Church by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the fact that people have been forgiven by God, that they have put their faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, and now they are giving forgiveness. They, they look different. I've talked to people whose marriages were on the ropes because of forgiveness issues, because of things that were going on that just seemed unforgivable. And they've been saved. They've been saved. Marriages have been saved. Uh, relationships have been, have been saved. They've been, uh, they've been reconciled through forgiveness and through the forgiveness that we see in Jesus Christ, through the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ and that we live out in Jesus Christ. And so that's, it's, it's always a, a great way to, to start off a sermon, just to know that, that Jesus is good, that, that the gospel really is changing lives. And, and you are a big part of that. You're a big part of what's going on over in North Tonawanda because you have sent us out there. You've sent out leadership from there. You've sent out members of your own congregation to be a part of what's going on so that they can reach North Tonawanda with the gospel. And so when you, you know, as, as we're sitting here uh, uh, taking up an offering, it was so cool to think about how, you know, this, this money that, that you're giving and you're giving it to God is going to advancing his kingdom, is going to advancing his kingdom. Just another cool story uh, about that, uh, that I can encourage you with and, and how this church is really having an, an, an impact, not just in Buffalo, but around the world is, is today. Uh, I have a friend with me. Uh, from China, from my ministry in China, uh, which you guys support, the chapel in China, and, and someone who, is, uh, who actually came to Christ through that ministry was part of one of our churches out there, and she's here with us today, and she's sitting over there by my wife. Diana, can you give a little wave? Um, I didn't tell her I was gonna I was gonna point her out, so sorry if I uh, embarrass you a little bit, but uh, be sure to get a chance to talk to her afterwards, and and, and just get to know her a little bit. It's, it's through part of what you've done and the way you've sent people and the way that you have uh, sent money and provided a means uh, for people to be there sharing the gospel. Well, today we're closing up our sermon series on forgiveness. And if you'll remember the first week, we talked about getting forgiveness. All right, we talked about getting forgiveness and receiving forgiveness from God. And we looked at Acts chapter 3, and we looked at one of Peter's sermons, because we didn't feel like preaching our own sermon. We came up with his, okay? 
It's a joke. You can laugh. All right. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm cheesy. Um, it, we looked at Acts chapter 3 where Peter was telling uh, people about the forgiveness that they can have in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that they can receive through Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about giving forgiveness. And, and not only do we receive it, but we give it. And today we're closing up the sermon series and you're probably like, well, what else is there left? What, what could be left? Like you get it, you give it. What, what's left? What, what is there? The last thing that we're going to talk about today is living forgiveness. Living forgiveness, okay? So you get it, you give it, you live it. Say that with me. You get it, you give it, you live it. All right, one more time. You get it, you give it, and you live it. You get it, give it, live it. All right, try to say that 10 times fast. Good luck. Um, you know, when I was uh, first married, when I first got married, I had been living in New Orleans all my life up to that point. And I was moving up to Baton Rouge where, where my wife-to-be was. And I didn't have a job. Um, I was looking around for a job. I didn't really know anyone there except for a couple college students. They weren't very helpful for finding a job. And I was looking all over the place. And finally, I found a job uh, that, that was doing interviews at the park and recreation system for Baton Rouge. They were the park and recreation system. They were looking for someone to join one of their grass cutting crews. Okay. And they asked me to come in for a job interview. And I'm going, a job interview to cut grass? Like, who, who, like I've cut grass before, you know, like, and, and when I got those jobs, it was just, do you know what grass is? You know, like, do you know that it needs to be cut? There's the grass. Go, you know, go for it. Like, what do you do for for a job interview. I had no idea what they were going to ask me, what they were going to talk to me about. I just had no clue. Further, I had no idea exactly what I was supposed to wear to this job interview. You know, like, what do you wear to a job interview for grass cutting? Like, I, you know, typically when you, when you show up at a job interview, you're, you're looking pretty nice. You know, you might show up in a suit or at least like, you know, button down shirt and a tie or something like that. But it's like, I'm going to cut grass. So, so what do I wear to this thing? I don't want to look like a total slob, uh, but I don't want to be overdressed for this job interview. And, and to tell you the truth, this is the exact outfit that I wore to that job interview uh, that very day. This is the exact shirt, uh, pants, and shoes that I wore to that job interview. So that's not to say that preaching is equal with, with cutting grass, but it, it can be, um, you know, if we're doing it all to the glory of God, right? Um, and so the point is that you, you always want your attire, you always want your attire, what you're wearing, to match your situation. You always want your attire to match your situation. And as the forgiven people of God, Paul is going to show us today what our attire should look like to match our situation. What our dress should look like in order to match our reality. Now, previously in the book of Colossians, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context here since we're, we're coming in kind of right in the middle. Previously in the book of Colossians, Paul is talking about how we are God's people who have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred in to the kingdom of Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. We've gone from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And therefore, our lives should look different. And that comes straight out of Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus should be preeminent in all things. Jesus should be at the top of our list in everything. Jesus should be our life. 
at that point. Jesus should be our life at that point. And we, he, he goes on to say that we have actually been crucified with Christ so that when we put our faith in Christ, we no longer look like our old selves. We've been crucified with Christ and we've been raised to new life with him. We've been raised to new life with him. And that's where we're coming in today. Um, And we're going to start at at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So go ahead and read along with me. We're going to read the first four verses here. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when we're talking about living forgiveness, there are two senses in in which we live forgiveness. The first sense in which we live forgiveness is that we live in the forgiveness that we've received. We live out the forgiveness that we've received. Now, Paul has just been talking about the fact that when we put our faith in Christ, our old self dies with him and we are raised with him to new life, to new life. And so the first thing that I want us to see is this, that living the forgiveness we've received means living a new life. Living the forgiveness we've received means living a new life. Now, a lot of people tend to see forgiveness as a means to go on living just however they were living before, but, but now they're just forgiven, right? Like now they just don't owe anyone anything anymore. Like I've been forgiven. I just move on. I just, I just go back to life as usual and, and, and because they've been forgiven. But forgiveness is not a means to go on living the way you've always lived. It's a means to be made new. Forgiveness is not a means to go on living the way you've always lived. It's a means to be made new. Imagine I lend someone some money, okay? I lend someone $20,000, all right? And I don't have $20,000. Don't come and ask me afterwards, okay? I don't have it. But let's just, we're just using our imagination. We're getting really creative here. I lend someone $20,000 for for something. They they need it for something uh, to, to go on in life. They're in a real bad situation. And when I find out that they really just can't pay me back, I cancel their debt. I just cancel it. I call it off. I just, I absorb the loss. I just take the loss myself and I cancel it. I'm not doing that so that they can continue to go on borrowing money from people and not paying them back. That's not the, that's not the reason that I'm forgiving them of their debt. I'm doing it so that they won't owe money anymore. I'm doing it so that they can start over in their financial situation, so that they have a new start. They're no longer starting $20,000 in the hole. They're starting at zero. They're living paycheck to paycheck. You know, they just can't pay it off. But if I cancel the debt, they're so much farther ahead. They've got a whole new financial situation. And in the same way, God has forgiven us of our sin so that we not so that we can go on living in them. He forgives us so that we can be made new, so that his spirit can come and live inside of us, so that, we can, so that we can begin being conformed into the image of Christ, so that we can start looking more and more like him, so that we can have a relationship with him and be made new. 
A lot of people think that the, the end means of the gospel is being forgiven of your sin. I'm going to blow your mind here for a minute, okay? The end means of the gospel is not being forgiven of your sin. It's a big part of the gospel. It's a major part, but it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. The end means of the gospel is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to be united with him, to be conformed into his image so that we can know him, so that we can love him and be loved by him and have a relationship with him for all of eternity. Forgiveness is a step to getting there, but it's not the end. When we think that forgiveness is the end of the gospel, then yeah, of course, we're just going to go on living life however we were living it before. It doesn't matter. But that is not the end of the gospel. The gospel is so much better than that. It's knowing Christ. It's being in a relationship with him. It's being made new. And so notice where Paul starts here. Notice where he starts here in verse 1. We have already been raised with Christ. We already have new life in him. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. He's speaking here to those who know Christ, those who have have put their faith in him, those who have new life in him. And so understand this, right from the start, none of the things that he's going to talk about here today, none of the things that we're going to see here today in the rest of the passage have, have anything to do with how to be saved, okay? A lot of times we, we look at, you know, he's going to list some, some, some bad things not to do and some good things that we should do, and we tend to look at those lists and say, that's, that's how you have salvation, that's how you get saved. And and, and Paul says, no, 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 no. This is what it looks like after you've been saved. Our salvation comes through the cross of Jesus Christ alone. It comes not from ourselves. It comes not from anything that we can do. It comes from the cross of Jesus Christ alone. And he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so that we could be forgiven and made new. So that we could walk in the way that Paul is going to describe here today. All of, these, all of these things come in light of our salvation. It comes in light of our salvation. So Paul says, you've been raised with Christ. You've died to your old life. You've been given new life in Christ. So seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. What is What does that mean? What does it mean to seek the things that are above? He's not telling you to check your horoscope, okay? He's not telling you to read the stars or like anything weird like that. He's telling you to keep your eyes on Christ. Look to Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Be in his word. Be saturated in his word. Have your eyes on him. Have your heart set on him. Let him be your treasure. Don't find your treasure in the things here on earth. Don't make your life all about the the things that we have here on earth. We we just went through a sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes talking about the meaning of life where Solomon tried to find meaning. He tried to find life in the things on earth, and yet he couldn't. It's only in Christ alone. We look to Christ alone. He's telling us to have our hearts set on Jesus rather than the things of this world. Because let me tell you something, when our heart is set on Jesus, when our heart is set on Jesus, when you're seeking after him with all of your heart, you will live the forgiven life. When you have your heart set on him, you will start to look 
more like him. You will begin to love him more and more. You will begin to grow closer with him. And you will begin to see the change that he undoubtedly brings in the lives of his people. So Paul gives us an idea of what that looks like. Read with me the rest of the passage, uh, verses 5 through 17. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have, been, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its, uh, in the no, in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think of these two ways of life as clothes that you put on. Think of these two ways of life. He's, he's contrasting from verses 5 uh, to, to 9. He's contrasting verses 12 to 17. Think of the two as, as clothes that you put on. Paul is saying that your attire should match your situation. Paul is saying that, that what you wear should match what's happening on the inside. It should match the reality that God has declared over you. If you're a businessman going to a job interview, you don't wear a tank top and jorts, right? You know what jorts are? They're, they're jean shorts. They're what Tim Tebow wears, okay? They're, they're, you don't wear jean shorts to your job interview as a businessman. It doesn't match, right? Like, it, it, you know, you show up in flip-flops, everybody's going to be like, what, what is this guy? Like, who does this guy think he is? You don't do that. Your dress should match your situation. And as people who have been forgiven their sins and given new life in Christ, the way to live the forgiveness that we've been given is to let our dress match our reality. It's to let our dress match our reality. Our reality is, is in verse 12 there. If you look at verse 12, it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So what should our attire look like to match that reality? It tells us compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and above all else, love. Living the forgiveness that we have in Christ does not give us the freedom to sin, but it gives us the freedom 
to live as God has called us to live. It gives us not the freedom to sin, but the freedom from sin. It gives us the freedom to be all that God has called us to be, to live in the way that he has called us to live, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the one that, that if you're a believer, you long for, the one that, that you have centered your whole life around. And he says that you can look like him, you can be conformed into his image. You have to put on the right attire. Is this what we look like as a church today? Would you, th- would you say that, that these are the clothes that, that you're wearing as a church today? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love? Is this what we're wearing today? Does your attire match your reality as the holy and beloved people of God? And notice here, before anyone freaks out or anything, notice that Paul is not saying that that a real church or a real believer is perfect. He's not saying that they're perfect. In fact, he seems to be, if anything, he, he, he seems to be assuming the opposite. Like if it's perfect people, why would you need forgiveness? If, if we're all perfect people, why would you need patience? You, you shouldn't. We would just be perfect and we would all get along. But he knows that things are going to happen. He knows that, that in Christ, even though we're being conformed into his image, even though we're being made perfect, we're not quite there yet. And we won't be until we stand before him in heaven with him forever. We're not quite perfect yet, but he does expect that we'll walk in humility with one another. He does expect that we'll walk in patience with one another. He does expect that we will walk in forgiveness and love for one another. But the question is, when those things are necessary, will you walk in them? When they're necessary, will you walk in them? It's easy a lot of times to get rid of the the bad stuff from from verses 5 and 9. Like we look at that stuff and we're like, yeah, you know, we get rid of that stuff. It's it's all good. And and, and a a lot of uh, churches will will do a great job at at getting rid of things like sexual immorality and, 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 you know, whatever else is listed there. I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, Impurity, lust, evil desires, all that stuff. We're good at getting rid of that stuff. But are we good at walking in the way that he calls us to live? Are we good at being humble? Are we good at giving forgiveness even when the other person doesn't deserve it? Are we, are we walking in that way? It's all one step, putting off the old and putting on the new. We put verses 5 to 9 to death and we put on verses 12 through 17. And when we do that, when we've put the right attire on for our situation of being God's chosen Beloved people, we will live the forgiveness that we have received from God. Now, I told you that there were two senses in which we live forgiveness. First of all, we live the forgiveness that we've received, but we also live forgiveness that we give. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a a case-by-case situation where you know, I'll decide when, when a situation comes up if I'll forgive that person or not. Like, I'll have to see what they do to me first, and, and, and then I'll decide if I want to give them forgiveness. No, we live a lifestyle of forgiveness. We assume that we're going to be forgiving people before they even do anything. We've decided that we're going to forgive them bef- before a situation even comes up. That's the second part of the forgiveness, and it flows from the first. Since you live a forgiven life, you are free 
to forgive others as well. You are free to live a forgiving life. Now, I realize that he says a lot of other things in these verses, but today we're going to focus in on the forgiveness part of it, okay? Colossians chapter 3, you could really preach like a whole sermon series on it. We're really going to focus in on on the forgiveness part of it here. And and, and if you think about it, all of the things that he says here are, are part of living forgiveness. Things like humility, things like gentleness and kindness and patience, they're part of living forgiveness. You know, when I I talk to a lot of people in the Buffalo area, especially, people who uh, don't go to church, people who aren't believers, uh, I think you might be surprised to find that the main reason that people don't want anything to do with church, they don't want anything to do with Jesus, they don't want anything to do with Christians, is not because they're a a staunch atheist, you know, that, that they just think that Christianity is so stupid, they think the idea of God is so stupid that's usually not the idea that I come across. I mean, there's those people out there for sure. But the main reason that I come across when I'm talking to people in this area is because they've been burned by the church. They've been burned by the church. Like they, they've, they've been, they've given it a shot, but, but they've been burned by it. They've seen uh, the, the things that go on. They've seen the petty arguments that turn real nasty. They've, seen the, they've been to the business meeting and just seen how, how disgusting it can get sometimes, the way that people talk to people at business meetings sometimes. And they say, hold up, you just, you just slept through a 45-minute sermon on forgiveness. You know, like, how are you, you going to, you know, come in and act like this to each other? Like, if that's all church is, is, is you just talk a bunch of stuff, you, you know, you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk, then I don't want anything to do with it. What, what, what draws people to Christ is that he changes lives. And when we're not living that out, as his body, as his people, when we're not putting on that attire that matches our situation, we're not being good witnesses for him. We're not living out the, the reality of what he has done in our lives. People look at it and they say, this is, this is no different from what I already knew. This is no different from what I already knew. They, they, they look just like everyone else over there. They just sing some songs before they do it. You know, they just, they just listen to a guy talk or they just ignore a guy talk. If he was talking about forgiveness and then they're not forgiving, you know, like, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense. And they conclude that if that is what God does in people's lives, they don't want any part of it. They don't care. It's not compelling. Imagine bringing them into a community, though, that is saturated in love and forgiveness. Imagine bringing them into a community where people are, are dressed in the appropriate attire where they live out the reality of what Christ has done inside of them. A uh, world-renowned scholar, N.T. Wright, some of you may have heard of him before. I was reading in one of his commentaries on the book of Colossians, and he gives an example. He says, imagine that verses 5 through 9 is a city. In this city, everybody lives like, like we see people in, in verses 5 through 9. They all, they're all like that. And just down the road is a city where everybody lives like verses 12 through 17. 
Now, if a traveler comes along and he goes to, to city one and he says, wow, this is, this, is, this is cool, but let me go see, uh, you know, what's happening in city number two. When he walks into city number two, shouldn't he be like, whoa, this is way different. This is completely different than city number one. And he goes back and he tells people from city number one, like, hey, you guys got to come check out city number two. Like, I know you think it's all good over here, but you haven't seen what these guys have, okay? You haven't seen what's going on in city number two, okay? And if you see it, I'm convinced that you'll want it. Sure, some people won't. You know, some people will, will just go back to city number one and say that's better. But man, when, when you have broken people that enter into a community, that is forgiving, that is loving, that is conformed to the image of Christ, that actually lives out what Jesus has given to them. It's compelling. And that's what the church should be. That's what the church should be. When people walk in and, and, and if they're, they're brought into the community of the believers, of, of the people of God, when they're bar- brought into the body of Christ, they should say, this is different and this is good. This is unlike anything I've ever seen before. They're not perfect. They're not perfect, but they understand that about each other. And they're very forgiving. And they're very loving. It's amazing. You know, I don't, I don't even feel like I have to be perfect around them. I want to, but I don't feel like I have to because they're forgiving. They love me. Now, Paul knows that we're not yet perfected. And while God has declared us holy as his people... He's still growing us into that. He's still growing us into looking more and more like him. But what he does expect is that you live a life as such that when someone wrongs you, you meet them with patience. You meet them with kindness. You meet them with humility and you meet them with forgiveness. So what does it look like? What does it practically look like to live out a life of forgiveness? First, first way it looks, you forgive others before they ask you for your forgiveness. You forgive others before they ask you for your forgiveness. Look at verse 13 with me real quick. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now notice, he doesn't say, all right, uh, you know, when, when someone grieves you, wait for them to ask your forgiveness and then forgive them. That's not what he says. He says, when you have a grievance against one another, forgive each other. That's it. You don't have to wait for forgiveness. If one has a complaint against the other one, you forgive them. If your rule, if your rule is that somebody has to ask you for forgiveness before you'll forgive them, you're not forgiving as the Lord forgave you. You know that? You're not forgiving as the Lord forgave you. You're putting yourself first. You're actually putting yourself first in this situation. You think you're being generous by giving them forgiveness, but you're actually putting yourself first. It's a power play. It's a power play. It says, you have to, you have to kneel down to me and say and admit that you were wrong so that I can step in above you and keep myself above you and then forgive you and look like I'm the bigger person for doing it. But that's not what, that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to forgive others before they even ask for our forgiveness. It's as the Lord has forgiven you. It's calling us to be humble. I think I lost my, uh, my place in my notes here. Um, 
Verse 12 lists compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience as the way to walk in the Spirit. And if we have these things, then we cannot make so much of ourselves. We can't make so much of ourselves that, that we have to demand that somebody ask for our forgiveness before, they, before we actually forgive them. <clears throat> now, I know the argument here. I know the argument. Some are going to say, well, it says, as the Lord has forgiven you, right? And we know that we don't receive the blessing of God's forgiveness until we've put our faith in him. So shouldn't it follow that, that we have to wait until they ask for our forgiveness to forgive them? Not exactly. It is true that we receive the blessing of God's forgiveness in our lives when we've repented and put our faith in him. However, let's not forget that God does not forgive us because we ask him to. God forgives us because he wills to. He doesn't forgive us because we ask him to. He forgives us because he wills to. It does still start with him. And while we may not receive the blessing of forgiveness until we've put our faith in Jesus, God the Father still sent Jesus Christ to the cross while we were yet sinners. It started with him. It doesn't start with us. It starts with him. That's Romans 5, 8. The second way to live forgiveness, second way to live forgiveness is to forgive others before they become perfect or before they correct their mistake. Again, this is as the Lord has forgiven you. Not only do we not wait for them to ask our forgiveness, we, but we also don't wait for them to correct their mistake. We don't say, okay, you go do this, this, and this, and then I'll forgive you. Like, you make up for it, and then I'll forgive you. Part of living in the community of God's people is taking on the understanding that we are people still being perfected by Christ, but we're not quite there yet. And part of his perfecting us is in teaching us forgiveness. It's in teaching us forgiveness. So don't expect other people to be quite perfect before you forgive them. And don't wait for them to become, uh, to, to correct their mistake, but you forgive them anyway. Now, some of you might worry, but if I forgive someone, if I forgive someone, then they'll never learn, right? It's up to me to teach them the lesson. Well, if you want to teach them a lesson, share the gospel with them, okay? You forgive them and you share the gospel with them. And don't tell me that that won't change a life, Okay? So we forgive others before they ask our forgiveness. We forgive others before they become perfect. Third, we put on love above everything else. Let me tell you something. Radical forgiveness is rooted in radical love. Radical forgiveness is rooted in radical love. We saw that with Jesus Christ. It was out of God's radical love for us that he sent his son so that we could have the forgiveness of sin. And it's much easier to forgive someone that you love than someone that you don't. You know, like when, you're, when your kid goes out and does something stupid with all his friends, it's much easier to forgive your kid, right? Because that's the one you love. Like, you don't really care about his friends so much. You know, like you love your kid and it's much easier to forgive him because you love him. If we're rooted in love, if we're already there, it's much easier to live in forgiveness. Fourth, if we're going to live in radical forgiveness, we must encourage one another and hold each other accountable to it. We've got to encourage one another in it. It's not just a one-time thing like you should forgive someone. We've got to constantly be encouraging one another. Verses 15 through 16 say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 
Listen, we're to encourage one another. This is what we do in community groups here. This is what we do in community groups. We, we come together and we, we look at the word of God and we encourage one another to live by it. We encourage one another to dress, to have our attire match our reality. That's what we do in community groups. And we, we talk about real situations. We hold each other accountable. And we say, man, how have you been doing with, with that guy you were saying you needed to forgive with, some, with something? Have you forgiven him? Have you gone to him? Have you talked to him? I know it's hard. Like, we don't, we don't like to do that, but that's what we do as the people of God because we're going to be tempted to put on our old clothes rather than our new ones. But Paul says, encourage one another, teach one another, and even admonish one another with all love and wisdom. And last, but certainly not least, the last way to live forgiveness. To live forgiveness, you must seek to glorify God. To live forgiveness, you must seek to glorify God and not yourself. Verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God is most glorified in the salvation of his people. He's most glorified in taking sinners and forgiving them and making them new. And the fact that Jesus has, has taken our sin upon his own shoulders and paid the penalty for it so that we don't have to shows off the essence of his power and his love and who he is. And when we live lives of forgiveness for one another, when we live lives of forgiveness for one another, we put the gospel on display. That's what we are as the church. We're the gospel on display. We're the people of God coming together and living changed lives together to show off who he is. And when people who don't know the grace of God see it on display in the lives of, in the lives of his people, it will draw them to it and it will exalt Jesus for all the world to see. It will exalt Jesus for all the world to see. But remember, and this is where people get hung up a lot, all right? Remember this. Don't, don't, don't drift off here. Let's, let's listen up real good. Remember that none of this is done to earn our salvation. All this, giving forgiveness, not done to earn your salvation. Putting off the old clothes, not done to earn your salvation. Putting on new clothes, not done to earn your salvation. It's because you already have it. It's because you already have it. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that is enough. That is enough. And now, because of that, this is how we look. This is how we walk. We can walk humbly. We can walk kindly. We can walk forgiving. We don't need to make ourselves more than anyone else. God has already made much of us in Jesus Christ. He's already made much of us in Jesus Christ. We don't need to try to solidify our place above anyone else because Christ has already taken us with him to the highest place. He's already taken us with him to the highest place and we can now display it by living lives of forgiveness. Living lives of forgiveness. Radical forgiveness is a tree rooted in radical love and its fruit is a radical, radical relationship. It's true of God's radical forgiveness for us that it was rooted in his radical love and out of it comes a radical relationship with him. And it's true in, in our relationships today as others. It must be rooted in love, knowing that they are people created in the image of God, knowing that they are people loved by God. And it results in a radical relationship. 
with them that bitterness and anger and jealousy cannot allow you to have. When those things are rooted in our hearts, we can't put the gospel on display for them. We can't live the life that God has called us to. But when we're rooted in love, we can. Will you live this life of radical forgiveness? Will you commit to doing that today? Will you put on the clothes that Jesus Christ himself has provided for you? The clothes that match your reality. Some of you in this room are in need of of forgiving someone. Some of you in this room are in need of of repenting and saying, you know what, I I always have to to get someone to ask me for forgiveness before I give it. Some of you are, are, are just not willing to forgive people. It's time to turn from that today. That's not what Christ has called you to. That's not what Christ has done for you. Live in what he has done for you. We're about to take communion. I'm going to go ahead and and ask the band to to come on up and the servers to come on up uh, as we do that. And I ask that today that we would remember the act of Jesus Christ going to the cross to provide our forgiveness in our new life. I want you to take some time today to, to deal with your heart in the matter of forgiveness. As you see a visual picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us so that we can have that forgiveness. I want you to take that picture and remember that that is what he is calling us to today as well.